0: Amen and amen. Well, I probably don't need to tell you that Easter is a week away, and, and Easter is a big deal, and it's not just a big deal in the church, it's a big deal for our culture as a whole. Even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you wouldn't say you have a relationship with Jesus, next Sunday you'll probably still gather with friends or with family, you'll eat good food. If you have nieces or nephew, nephews or kids or grandkids, they'll probably go find candy and eggs And yet, every year, I hear more and more people ask this question. And it's the question that we're going to center our time, the rest of our time around today. Here it is. What did Jesus' work on the cross ultimately accomplish? Like, what what did it ultimately mean? I know that Jesus hung on a cross, died, and was ultimately resurrected. But what does it mean? What did he ultimately accomplish? And to answer that question, we're going to be in John 19. Pick up in the next verse from last week. Um, it's written by one of Jesus's earliest disciples, someone who is usually in the room or in this scene is at the foot of the cross in the, in the crowd watching Jesus hang there. And so we pick up in verses 29 and, and 30. Here's what it says. It says, a jar of wine vinegar was there. And so one of the guards, they soaked a sponge in it, Put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This is the sixth phrase that Jesus, Jesus utters in his journey to the cross It is finished. And we're going to be looking at this phrase. We're actually going to be picking all three parts of it apart. It is the first one. In this moment, Jesus says, It is finished. Well, what's it? Well, whatever it is, here's the first thing that we can really pull out of this phrase, out of this verse. Remember, we're trying to answer one question that is, what did Jesus' work on the cross ultimately accomplish? Here's the first thing that we see Jesus' work on the cross was costly. It was costly. Whatever it is, it cost him his life. It cost Jesus all that he had. There was nothing left that Jesus could give on top of what he already gave. He gave it all for it. Well, what is it? To find that out, we actually have to go back all the way to the first couple chapters in the Bible, Genesis 3. Let me just catch you up. God creates the world out of nothing. And he creates the perfect place for man and woman, the pinnacle of his creation to be in perfect relationship with him. And he calls it Eden. And he gives them one rule, not to pick fruit off of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And after a while, we don't know how long, they start to use their own discernment and their own decision making. And they ultimately decide to go against what God told them. And they take of the fruit and they eat it and ultimately have to bear the consequences of it. And here's where we pick up in verses 23 and 24. This is what it says. It says, so the Lord God banished him, banished them from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim or angels and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This was Jesus' it. It was his mission to rescue what had been banished, to recover what had been lost, to make a way where there was no way, to remove the flaming sword, guarding the way to perfect communion with God the Father that he gave his life for their sin and for ours. The only thing keeping us from being in perfect relationship with God, he paid the ultimate price My wife and I, Mel, we are coming up on seven years of marriage. And over our history together, we have been to one all-inclusive resort. And it was for our honeymoon, so it was early on. And let me just tell you pretty much the only thing that I care about when it comes to an all-inclusive resort, and that is food. Is it next to a beach? Meh. Do we have a nice room? Don't really care. Is the food included? Okay, that matters to me, right? Right? So just imagine if Mel and I went to this all-inclusive resort, and it was, it was early on, we didn't have a lot of money, so just imagine that we used up all our money just getting there, that we didn't have any money for anything else, and imagine we didn't know that food was included. So we would wake up, and, and we would go to whatever buffet there was, and when other people left their table before the waiter could come, we would go and we would eat scraps off of, off of their plate. Imagine if Mel and I thought that we had access to be a part of the resort, but not enough to actually enjoy all of its benefits. And believe it or not, that's how most of us treat our faith. That's how most of us treat this gift that Jesus gave us, this costly gift. So many of us believe that Jesus' sacrifice may have gotten us across the threshold of salvation, but now it's all up to us to fix the rest of our lives. We look at our lives and we we look at Jesus' gift for us and we feel like it's only good for salvation. Like a prepaid card that doesn't have enough funds to continue. And so when we look at our lives, when we see our anxiety, we feel lost. When we see our anger, we feel out of control. When we see our lack of self-control, we feel hopeless. When we look at all of our broken relationships, we feel angry. When we look at our finances, we feel scared. When we look at our future, we feel uncertain. We think that Jesus has already done so much for us. He's already paid so much. How could we ask him for more? Can I just encourage you, church? There is no area of your life that Jesus's payment doesn't already reach. There's no problem that you're facing that the blood of Jesus does not cover. God is so much richer than you could ever imagine. He has not spent all that he has for you on you already. He has so much more laid aside for you, more healing, more freedom, more faith, that you and I, we haven't even begun to experience the blessing that God has reserved for us. Jesus' work on the cross was costly. He's already paid it. What if there's more available to you and me than what we're currently experiencing? What if we didn't have to do it on our own? What if the very areas that we think we have to bring to God to show him how much we have it together, what if those are the areas that he's prepared to give us a gift? Don't you think that Jesus' life was already payment enough? Jesus' work on the cross was costly. It's more than enough to pay for your sin and my sin. Let's go back to that verse in John 19. Here's the next word that we find. When when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This is the second word that we find is. Here's the next thing that we find in in this verse. It's it's not just costly. Here it is. Jesus' work on the cross is complete. Complete. This is so important for us to catch. See, I think so many of us live our lives like if we can just get it right, then the blessing of God will be unlocked on us. If we can just follow the recipe, if we can pray and go to church and read the Bible and give to those in need and and not gossip and do all those other things that you're supposed to do and all those other things that you're not, then something is given to us. But if you mess up, it's taken away again until you and I do what we need to do in order to access all that God has for us. Let me just show you something. This is, this is from the same scene in the Bible, just a different book. It's a, it's a different take on it. We find it in Matthew 27. Here's what it says. And when Jesus has cried out again in a loud voice, imagine, remember what he's saying, it is finished. He gave up his spirit. And it was at that moment that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised back to life. This is what's so beautiful about this verse. Because I think it helps us. I think so many of us have just a wrong picture of who God is. That when we picture God, we picture him like a divine boss sitting behind a big desk with a fancy swivel chair with his back to us, saying, you know, prove to me that you're worth my time. And so, so many of us try. Versus the picture that these verses paint, which is that at the moment, as soon as Christ had paid for your sin, that the curtain that had traditionally separated the Spirit of God from the people of God, that the Holy Spirit tore through it that it was from top to bottom, meaning that it was done by God and not by man, that he came out looking to find you and to find me, that we don't have to go looking for God. He's already been looking for us. See, I think if we understood this concept, it would change so much about how we perceive God. The curtain was not torn in two the first time that you went to church two Sundays in a row. The curtain was not torn in two the first time that you listened to Christian music five days in a row going to work instead of ESPN. The curtain was not torn into two the first time you cracked open a Bible or the first time you prayed before a meal. The fact is, is that you and I don't have to earn God's approval. Jesus' work on the cross is complete. Amen? Which begs the question, why should we do all the stuff that we know we should do but often don't? I meet with a group of guys every week. It's three of us, and we spend time diving deeper into the Bible together. And every single week, we check in on each other, and we check in on our experience with God that week. We call it our want to. See, we're reading through the one-year Bible together, and I've been doing the one-year Bible for a number of years, and it's so helpful to me. It's 10 to 15 minutes of reading or listening a day, and you get an Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and a Proverb. If you do it every day, you read through the Bible in a year. And so we're reading through the one-year Bible, but we don't just check in on what we were supposed to read we check in on our desire to spend time with God, if that's increased or decreased. Here's how we encourage each other. If the list of things that we're supposed to do is actually bogging us down from wanting to spend time with God, here's what we tell each other. You should stop. Because the goal isn't to read the Bible in a year, it is to become a person who longs more and more to be with God every day. So we tell each other, don't read all that you're supposed to read. Just read the psalm. Just read the proverb, which is usually just one verse. We say, do whatever causes you to want more of him. You see, so many of us are stopped from going to God on a daily basis because of what we haven't done or what we've failed to do. But Jesus' work on the cross is complete. We also remind each other that doing nothing to spend time with God every day probably won't increase our want to Either. We say Jesus has given us freedom, but not freedom to not spend time with God, freedom that allows us to focus on taking small steps that will ultimately lead to a deepening intimacy with Christ. Here's the last thing that we find in John 19. Go back to that verse. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Here's the last insight that we pick up. It may not make sense at first, but just hang with me. Jesus' work on the cross will continue. Jesus' work on the cross will continue. Before you ask, yes. Technically, I know that if something is finished, it inherently doesn't continue, but just hear me out. Mel and I, we just finished our will for our family. We have three little girls. They are officially five, three, and one. If you're wondering, we get tons of sleep, tons of quiet time, and we, we really are. We are soaking up this season. Um, we're having the time of our lives. We know that our girls will never want to be with us more than they want to be with us right now. I did just finish putting together a triple bunk, okay? Now, just imagine yourself putting together a triple bunk, and imagine yourself putting together a triple bunk with your hands tied behind your back because that is my skill level. <laughs> you know, all of them are safe, but it was, it was scary as it was happening. So get this, our will is finished. It's signed, it's notarized, the whole nine yards. But what does that actually mean? here? It means that our will is now in effect. It's active. It's in place until our death. These last three words that Jesus says before he ultimately gives up his spirit, before he ultimately dies, this is his will for us. He says, my part is finished. What comes next? Our part. In these last three words, Jesus transfers ownership of his mission to us. And his mission becomes our mission, his express wishes, become what we follow. They're now in effect. And just in case his disciples didn't already know what to do over the last three years, Jesus comes back from the dead so that he can tell them in person. We find it in Matthew 28. This is what Jesus tells his disciples and ultimately us. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. You see, the church doesn't have a mission. Jesus' mission has a church, that you and I have already been given a job description. This is what I love so much about the church. You don't need to come to the church to know what to do or to do what we think you should do. You've already been given a mission. You've already been given a calling to live out a responsibility from what Jesus has placed on you. Jesus has given you the church to help you better live out the mission that you've been called to. And this is the haunting part of Palm Sunday. We celebrate Palm Sunday every single year as the day that Je- of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. That finally, after three years of ministry, the people that he was sent to start to recognize who he is and what he's come, that he is the Messiah. He's the one that's going to usher them into a new season. And so, what do they do? He, he's riding in on a donkey and they take out their take off their outer cloaks and they lay it on the ground so that the hooves of the donkey that he's driving won't even touch the ground because of how sacred that he is. They, they break off palm branches and they wave them to, to let him know, man, we know that you are the appointed and the anointed king. And then five days later, they vote to execute him. And in a weird twist of events, it's the Roman official, it's the, the Roman governor who argues for Jesus' life. And it's Jesus' would-be followers who vote for his execution and they, they yell, crucify him, let his blood be on us and on our children. All because they were willing to follow Jesus if he fit into their box. They were willing to follow Jesus if he didn't break any of their rules. They were willing to worship him if he gave them everything that they wanted. But when they saw a Jesus who was willing to surrender and to suffer and to be crucified, they wanted no part of it. And then he said, if any of you are to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Here's the dirty little secret of the cross that's so hard for us to face Following Jesus to the cross often means that he leads us to places we'd rather not go, that he invites us to surrender areas we'd rather not give up control, and that it makes us vulnerable to suffering that we wish we could avoid. Remember, this whole time we're trying to answer one question What did Jesus' work on the cross ultimately accomplish? Here's what we find. Jesus' work on the cross has accomplished everything you need for everything God is calling you to do. There is nothing undone that needs to be done, that Jesus has done everything we need for everything that God is calling us to do. The painful question that we're asked on Palm Sunday is this, will you follow me even to the cross? Now, you might be thinking, Evan, that's great, but what do, what do I actually do? What, what can I do this week? Let me just give you three areas, three, three phrases, really, that I think you and I, in light of Jesus' surrender going to the cross, that you and I are probably going to have to surrender along the way as well. Here's the first one. I deserve this. You know, I, just, I see in this text, and I, and I think it's so true, about us too. I think there's so many of us who insist on suffering for our own sin. That Jesus paid for our salvation, but there are areas of brokenness, areas of pain, areas of tragedy, areas of hurt that we feel like we have to walk on our own. And can I just encourage you, church? Jesus' payment was costly. That he, he paid everything. Everything that he gave is for every area of your life. That there's no area that you have to walk with on your own. That you and I are probably going to have to surrender this phrase and this one too. I'll earn it. Can I just encourage you, church? There is not one of us that when God looks at us, he sees an employee. That he is so much less concerned what you do, even for his kingdom, even good things, amazing things, eternal things, than as he cares about you as his son or his daughter. That if our whole relationship with Jesus is just about what we do in his name, that ultimately he wants to spend time with us. We've been talking about this as an abiding lifestyle. It's what Jesus talks about in John 15. It's what Uh, The next step of the journey is about, step three of the journey is every month, it's about living an abiding lifestyle. And we talk about it because it's something that we don't do very well, something that we don't talk about very well. But Jesus, it's the only work that Jesus has truly given us is to spend time with him. It's the only thing that you can give to Jesus that no one else can give is you. That we don't have to earn anything Jesus wants to abide with him. Here's the last one. I'll decide what's best. I think so much of our lives are off limits to God. That God can come, and he can move, and he can answer prayers, and and he can give us direction, but it has to be within certain boundaries, that truly, honestly, there are areas we'd rather not go. There are things we'd rather not face. And can I just encourage you? I think there's so much freedom behind this prayer. I'm just going to share this prayer with you. And, and I, I, I hope and pray that you'll at least consider praying it this week. As we lead up to Easter, I don't think there could be a better week. As we consider all that he's done, that he left nothing on the field, that he gave it all for us, that you and I would consider praying this prayer. It says, God, whatever you want to do in my life, Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. That there are no areas off limits to you. That you and I have been given a mission. We've been given a calling. It was Jesus' mission. And that we would take up that mantle of ministry and make it central to our lives. Last question What's your next step? You know, this is what I love so much about who God is and who he calls us to be, is he never draws a line in front of us and shames us for where we're not. But every single day, he invites us to take a small step forward, to stretch ourselves a little bit more, to, to do something that it might be hard or it might seem far off, but we work towards it. And I, can I just encourage you, church, what is one thing that for the next six days, Monday through Saturday, that you can take a small step towards Jesus. That in light of who he is, in light of what he's done, in light of what we're gonna celebrate a week from now, what's one thing, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's reading one verse a day. We can do that. Maybe it's turning off your radio on the way to work or on the way back and just praying. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe it's people you go to school with, maybe it's neighbors or friends, that if you know that if you ask them to join you next Sunday, that they would probably come. Can I just encourage you? and I think God wants to meet all of us in this. We all have room to grow. I don't know what your next step is, but I know that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, wants to speak to us. There is no there I mean just think about this. If you're a son or a daughter or if you have a son or a daughter, there's no parent that doesn't want to speak with their child. And I'm just telling you, even if that's not true for you and your family relations, you have a heavenly father who wants to speak with you. And I believe he can do that. That's for every single Christian. And so we're just gonna take some time. And my prayer is just that the Holy Spirit will speak to you or give you a sense or direction. Maybe you've never had that before. And I'm just, can I just encourage you, if that's true for you, man, I think today could be an amazing day. That we would just create space and ask God to fill it. So let's do that together. Let's pray together. God, we look to you today. And we're so thankful for your word. It guides us. It directs us. It moves us towards life. It helps us come to terms with the wrong ideas that we have about you, ideas that have been placed there by the world or by hurts or by people in our lives who have wronged us. But, God, you are so much more than we could ever imagine, and you're so good to us You have good stored up for us that we don't have to even work for, but you want to give it to us as a gift, as a good father. And so God, I just pray that you would bring freedom where there are areas of of hurt and pain. God, I pray that you would gently move into those areas that we haven't invited you into. God, that you would remove this idea that we have to work for your love. And God, I just pray that there would be a sense of longing that wherever you want to call us, whatever you want us to do, that we will follow you, that we will pick up our cross, and we will follow your example. I also just want to pray for those of you who today, before you sat down in whatever room you're in or before you walked into one of our campuses, that you know maybe you were interested in hearing more about God, but you would say, I, don't, I didn't actually have a relationship with God. And it would be my honor to create a space where you could just draw a line in the sand and say, today's my day. And all you have to do is just repeat these words after, after me. I'm not gonna ask you to stand, not gonna ask you to come to the front. Just say, say this prayer in your own words. Say, Jesus, I hear you calling to me. And I wanna answer you. Thank you so much for everything that you gave, for my it, my sin, what was keeping me from you. God, I pray that you would wash it away, that you would wash me clean, that you would help me start anew, that I wanna hand over the keys. I wanna give you my life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come inside of me and that you would lead me and guide me into everlasting life, that you would help me to live a life worthy of the calling that I've received. And we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus, And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and somebody said amen and amen.